on the stage today. You may know what this is. A still, a still. Who do you think I'm appealing to by trying to put this up here? Tennesseans. That's good. Yes. I did have country folk in mind. Did grow up in Tennessee, but I hadn't seen one of these until I moved to Washington, you know? Also hoping to appeal to some homemakers because uh, while this can be used appar apparently, allegedly, for moonshine, I wouldn't know. Um, Katie and James Lee, actually, um, this is their still, and they taught me this summer how to make essential oils. Anybody know? Have anybody been in this process before? Um, you, what you do is you start with a heap of something. We started with a heap of mint. And then in the process of this still, it is transformed. It's changed from mint in water to steam and then to water and oil back again as it extracts this precious oil. That um, I actually want to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep coming back to this because I think I've seen something of a principle of a way of walking with God, of a life of faith through this process of distilling moonshine, I mean essential oil <laughs> <laughs> from this still. Oh my goodness. The question that um, thinking about extracting faith has led me to is to ask you this morning, have you ever considered that faith might be something that is worth extracting in your life, that has essential value? Um, I hope that we're all going to leave looking at Abram today, walking through a still. You guys are going to be so excited. We're all going to become gardeners after this. Um, with it, yeah, I ha really hope that you're going to have an increased sense of awe and of value for what it is to have a life of faith. It is more precious than gold. And what I feel like God has shown me as, as I thought back through this process was that God distills faith. He distills faith in us as we go back and deeper and back and deeper in life with him. We're looking at Abram, Abraham. He was, uh, same guy, Abram, Abraham, just in the timeline. It's confusing, I know. Um, but he's same guy. He was one of the people in the Bible most commended for his faith. And we have the privilege of watching his faith grow, going from a guy who doesn't know God to a guy who is commended for his faith. Isn't that fun? We got a template. Isn't that nice? Um, so we're in Genesis chapter 13, and at this point in the story, I mean, if you have your Bible, it's like, we're, you know, you don't have to turn very far to get to Genesis chapter 13, and already God has made a significant promise to Abram that he's going to make out of him a great nation, that he's going to give him a great land, and that through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God bless Abram. He's already put that to the test. Like, if God's really going to make good on that, because as Stephanie walked, walked us through last week, he's already, like, messed up on an epic scale and tried to take control of the whole thing and been in charge of being the blessing to the whole world. And God has proved himself faithful anyway. So God's pulled him out of Egypt. That's where we are in the story. And so this week, we're coming into this question, where are we going? And I think Abram's asking the question, where do I go now that I've messed up? Where do I go after I've made a big mistake? And I hope that we see that we can ask that same question, that Abram's story is going to help us in all of the everyday situations of our life, where we, where we wish we made different decisions, where we need to, um, to start again. Where do we go? And what we see as we walk, as Abram learns, we're going to learn that we can actually go back 
and deeper, back and deeper in our life with God. And then as we do that, our faith is distilled. So open with me to Genesis 13. If you have a Bible, I want you there. If you have a phone, I want you there to Genesis 13 because I'm only going to read a bit to begin, and then maybe it'll help you when you open up later uh, this week or today to remember where we've been. So Genesis chapter 13, I'm going to start with the first couple of verses. So hear God's word. Genesis chapter 13, verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negeb. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negeb as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord, and I want you to respond. Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, would you continue to open up your word to us, make it alive to us, make this matter in our lives, make us, help us connect more with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So sometimes when you need to get started, you got to go back. It's January 2023. We're two weeks in. Who's made resolutions for diet and exercise? Yeah, guess what? You can just go back because you're just starting over again, right? This is the, this is the opening principle of a new year. Um, Abram has just messed up in Egypt, and he's going back. Now, you astute Bible readers who've been around the last couple weeks, what were some of the phrases that you heard that let you know that Abram's going back? What did you hear? Nobody wants to say out loud. That's all right. He goes back to the Negeb. That was my favorite verse from 12.9. Where are we going, Abram? And he just, he doesn't know where he's going, so he just journeys on toward the Negeb, like toward the south, really. So he's going back to the Negeb, and then uh, it lets us know that he's going back to Bethel, right? To the place that his tent had been at the beginning. And we know that he's going back, verse 4, to the place where he made an altar at the start. Guys, this is such a kind way to begin this story again with Abram because it just reminds us that we have so much permission in the life with God to go back. Go, wow, the kids are very excited about that. Did you guys hear that? That's amazing. You can contain them but not their sound, and I'm so glad for that. Okay, we can go back. We can go back. When you have disconnected with God, when you have disconnected with a friend, with a spouse, with a career, this passage gives us permission to go back to a moment when things made sense, to a routine for meeting with God that worked before, to a trip that sealed a friendship, to a favorite date place. It is okay to need to go back, to start again. We are learning, right? We're learning with Abram. He's starting this life of faith. He's the first one to show us what it is to walk out a life with faith with God. And sometimes you just got to go back. Abram's getting just this holy do-over. I love holy do-overs in scripture. One of my favorite is a holy do-over that's at the end of the book of John. John's one of the guys who tells the life of Jesus. In John 21, Peter gets this beautiful holy do-over moment with God. In that moment, Jesus has died and risen from the dead, and now where to go next? The direction's not clear. So Peter, kind of the leader of the group, gets a brilliant idea to lead the team, 
he's going to go fishing. Just go back to what he knows, right? And the rest of the leadership team is like, that's a good idea. Let's, let's all go fishing. So they get in a boat and disappear. What do you think Jesus thinks about his core leadership team in this moment post-resurrection going back on a boat? What do you think he thinks? I think he's delightfully expecting it because you know what Jesus does? Shows up on the beach ahead of him and goes ahead and has some fish ready for them to eat breakfast. You know, yells out, hey, guys, have you caught anything? And he's like, it's all right. I already got breakfast all set for you, right? Our gracious God, he knows we don't know. And he will meet us back when we go back to the things that we knew at the beginning. Abrams knew it this, and so are we. So God lets us have holy do-overs. This time he's going back and he's not quite the same, is he? He's learned a really key lesson while he was in Egypt. He learned that even when he is faithless, God is faithful. He's learned that even when he forgets God, God doesn't forget him. He's learned that God's blessings are not material necessarily. They are for sure his presence. And God will not remove his blessing from Abram, even when Abram messes up. So he's returning He's going back, but he's also going deeper. And in this next baby step of faith, we get in verse 4, one thing he's going to get right this next time around. It says, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And God immediately responded, and he said, good, you're going to go to Ai in three days, and you're going to meet this guy named Simeon there, and then this is going to be your next step. That's what he did, right? Oh, no. That's not what happened. He called upon the name of the Lord. And that was his act of faith. And what that did was reestablish this two-way street. The life with God is a two-way street. And Abraham reminded God, and he reminded his own soul, right? Acknowledging to his own soul, I have the blessing of God. He's with me. I can talk to him. I can call upon him. And then without an audible reply from God, without much spiritual experience, Abraham's just got to start making decisions. It can be frustrating that way in the walk of faith. Many of us expect that as we go deeper with God, his answers about what to do next become more supernatural. Like suddenly you've got post-it notes from God. Did you know that's the next level of faith? He just starts writing on post-it notes for you. No, I wish, right? Um, But what we see is not that God changes how he interacts with Abram as he goes back and deeper, but actually that Abraham changes. And this go-around of making decisions, we're going to see that Abram, a little bit more of God's character has been distilled in Abram through what happened in Egypt. Here's the new situation. He's been traveling with his nephew Lot. Between them, there's too many people and there's too many sheep in a small space. Have any of you been in the habit of family reunions on small enclosed places? My family did family reunions on houseboats. Don't know why. But if you did, you understand this feeling that there has come a point where it's time to go our separate ways. Amen? So they're coming to this point, and they need to go their separate ways, and they've got to figure out who is going where. Now, Stephanie pointed out last week that Abram made a lot of decisions in selfishness and fear when it came to Egypt and what to do next. But now he's gone back 
and deeper. He's seen God's faithfulness, so he's not responding the same way. So this go-around, he gives Lot the pick of the land, exhibiting tremendous generosity and trust. Incredible trust that whatever leftovers <laughs> he ends up with in the land, it's going to be good, and he'll still have God's blessing. So Lot picks the obvious choice, the land that's fruitful, the one with rivers, the one with cities, the one that's established, that's described like Eden and Egypt. And he goes and he settles into that city. And there's plenty of foreboding that that is not going to go well for him. Abram takes a different tack, goes back and deeper, back and deeper, and now in a different route. He doesn't settle into a city. He settles into a tent. He doesn't settle among people. He settles in the presence of God. So let me, I actually want to read this part to you. So I'm going to read from Genesis 13, beginning with verse 14. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from this place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one could count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent, and he came and he settled by the oaks of Mamre, which were known to be a pagan religious site, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Now, I think this is really important to us. We, we just read this is God's response to Abram. And how close was that to when Abram called on the name of the Lord? It was a little ways off, right? His res God's response was not immediate. Abram had to use some common sense and some character of God that had been distilled in him in a new situation. Then after moving forward in a way of generosity and trust, then God speaks and takes him deeper in the revelation of who God is and exactly what this promise is that God is going to get. I think this is really important, friends. The life of faith is not a life that turns God into a vending machine. I trust you. Cha-ching! Here's your answer. That's not how the life of faith works. The life of faith is a process of distilling trust through difficult circumstances. Last week, Stephanie, I, this is one of my favorite of your quotes, she very rightly said, Famine in our circumstances can lead to a surplus in our faith. I think the challenge is, do you care about having a surplus in your faith? Because this passage actually, I think, really challenges us to this because chapter 13 started by describing Abram as rich with livestock and silver and in gold. Are we more impressed with Abram's material wealth or with the surplus of faith that he found in Egypt? Which better describes the rich person to you? Is it wealth or is it trust? I think this is very challenging to us. Um, the work of this still, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to this, don't worry, um, is to extract the most valuable resource. In my case, 
this summer it was essential oil. I actually left, I left the vial in my backpack. Would you mind grabbing it? It's behind, it's where the communion set is in the side pocket. Thank you. I just, I really wanted to hold it. Okay. So essential oil has actual value. So if you have a small vial of essential oil, that's about $40 worth of oil in mint. And this process for me, first go round, created two vials, so $80 of value. Now, if I had just brought you my five-gallon bucket of mint, which I can't in January, how much value do you think that five-gallon bucket of mint has? Thank you. Haha. <laughs> it has some value because... Fresh herbs at Fred Meyers don't cost what they used to. Amen. Okay. Oh, man. So there is some value to it, but honestly, it could have just been headed for the compost pile. But instead, when it goes through this distilling process and is transformed and is extracted, there's actual monetary value. I'd like you to consider, if you've never considered it before, that the most valuable human asset might be relationship with God that it lasts longer into eternity. It has more value. It's a greater inheritance than land or jewelry or career. Have you ever considered that? That faith might have actual value. It can't be purchased or manufactured, but it's real. And when faith is distilled in you, when you are a person of deep faith, you exchange Anxiety for trust, doubt for hope, fear for trust, cynicism for love. A life of faith is an immeasurably rich life. Have you ever considered that it might be worth fostering faith even more than filling your Roth IRA. That the life of faith actually has value. How do we get it? Okay, well, here's, here's what you've been waiting for. This is how the still works. So you're going to fill the, the bottom up with mint, and then you're going to drown it in water. And then you put this up above on a platform, and you put a propane tank underneath it, and you boil the water. And then what happens is up through this top neck comes the steam and the oil attaches itself to the steam and it comes down here and it comes into this coil where you put either the garden hose or you know if you're doing moonshine in the creek I'm just probably you know just saying maybe that garden hose cools it down as it goes down through these coils so then the water goes back and deeper back and deeper back and deeper and the oil has reconnected to the water right and then it comes out this spigot Water comes out this side, and haha, ha, I kept it. And this comes out the other side, okay? This is a big old gallon jug with the neck on it. What happens when oil and water settle? They separate, right? So then this narrow neck at the top is for the oil to come into so that you can easily pull it out with a dropper. So this oil and the water is extracted and separated, and you're left with $80 in essential oil and then a whole lot of mint water to spray your cat with. I'm just <laughs> saying. <laughs> Hypothetically, <laughs> might be an option. Okay, so track with me here. I've experienced to be true, to be true that 
God really only puts the best of us under pressure. Stuffs the most valuable parts of who we are and what we love. And it gets boiled and heated under pressure. And in God's silence, in suffering, in waiting, in processes we don't like, just like a propane tank on full, full throttle, what God is doing is he's, he's extracting, he's pulling a very precious faith out of us. And in the process, we are reconstituted. We are changed, right? Something is extracted. When we walk with Jesus, often what's extracted is beautiful trust and love. When we go through that process alone, often what's extracted is fear and doubt. But either way, under the pressure of life circumstances, we are not the same. And in the days and the months and the weeks that follow these seasons of hard pressure, our souls sift out. And we get to see in how we operate our life exactly what we are made out of, what is precious and extracted out of our lives. And we see it in how you treat friends, how you spend money, what career changes you make, how you use your time. You, you get to find out exactly what is distracted. God is after rich, distilled faith in you. It, it is precious beyond measure. It is eternal. Um, you might have heard this, one of my favorite verses, Romans 5, 3. I think I'm like always going to be figuring out what this means. But Romans 5 says that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God has poured into our hearts his love by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Do you value that process? Is God's love being poured into your heart worth the process of that extraction of your faith? I want to tell you, this process is not Sisyphean. That's like one of my favorite Greek references. You know, Sisyphus had like the stone that rolled down and he just pulled, you know, pushed it back up and then rolled it back down and pushed it back up. I think a lot of people think about suffering that way. But if, if I were to use my still here, if that process was like that, this would be a continuous coil that just went round and round and round and round and round and never came back out, Right? But our God's process is not like that. It's back and deeper, back and deeper, back and deeper. And then something truly precious is extracted out of our life. Jesus takes us back and deeper, back and deeper. And he's looking for this wealth for the kingdom of heaven. We got to hear this week um, as we had dinner. We had, a, we had a small group of people over to our house because we are um, we're leading up to our founding family for Kitsap House. People are committing to this community from this point forward, and we got to have dinner together. And what we got to hear again and again were these stories of faith through hardship. The journey of faith, like this coil, back and deeper, back and deeper, distilling this gold that is the certainty of things hoped for, as Hebrews 11.1 1 says. So let me take you back to Jesus and Peter, because I love this story. So this is when Peter's getting his holy do-over, right? And they're eating fish together. And um, Jesus walks Peter back through the biggest screw-up of his life. And it was a moment where um, Jesus was denied, three, Peter denied Jesus three times. In those days before Jesus' death, it was like all of Peter's life had been stuffed into this still. And, his, um, and he just got drowned 
and heated up, and he was not the same at the end of it. But it's like this conversation with Jesus. Jesus is walking Peter back and deeper, back and deeper, like cooling him off, cooling off his pride and his shame as he extends love and forgiveness to him. So he has this conversation with Peter, and for every time Peter denied him, Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, you know that I love you. Do you love me? You know that I love you. Do you love me? You know all things. You know that I love you. It's, and then what comes out is this precious faith and love. Peter even gets to see that that's at the heart of what is extracted from him. Not denial and shame, forgiveness and love. And then he gets his holy do-over moment because Jesus' next thing that he says to him is, Peter, follow me. Which is where he started with Jesus. Except first go around, it meant, why don't you come and have dinner with me and see what I'm up to and learn about the kingdom of heaven. This time, the follow me is, follow me in the death that I died. You'll be crucified like me, Peter. Follow me. Peter couldn't have responded to him like that at the first. He needed a life of going back and deeper, back and deeper with God. He needed to see the character of Jesus. He needed to see Jesus heal people and he needed to watch Jesus suffer himself and rise from the dead and know that that pathway into eternal life is available to him. Peter wasn't ready at the beginning, but now he's ready for the deepest call of faith to give his life for Christ. It shows us that God is not cruel in extracting faith from us. He actually has a really high value on our faith, on filling us with love in a world that is evil, a world that he has promised once and for all, he will conquer all evil and suffering. God has already put Satan on notice. He's a defeated foe, and he knows it. And that noticing did not come at a light cost. God himself in the person of Jesus lived a life of poverty and suffering and betrayal so that he might meet evil on its own turf and prove that there is something so much stronger. His love, his love is so much stronger than the evil and the pain and the suffering in the world. He went all the way to death on a cross so that we could see that death is not the end. Suffering is not the end. The end is his resurrected life and his Holy Spirit pouring his love into our hearts. Our God is a refining God. He d he's, not, he's not pulling one on you. He's promised this is who he is. He is a refining God. He wants to refine us. He hears us when we call. And if you're going back to him and you don't hear him respond to you right away, trust that he is exacting, distilling trust in you, a certainty about what you hope for. When Abram goes back and works with God in his way of generosity and trust, he is rewarded with a tangibleness to God's promise that he didn't have before. God tells him, walk the length and breadth of this land. This land is where I'm, uh, what I'm giving to you. Go ahead, pick up a handful of this earth right here. Can you count the dust? No, you can't. So you won't be able to count the, the family that is coming to you that will be blessed through me. 
that back and deeper, back and deeper led to a tangibleness of his faith. There is a tangibleness coming for us. We have been promised the land that Abraham was promised. We've been promised the family that Abraham was promised. We've been promised that we will be a blessing to all the world as Abraham was a blessing to all the world. And that tangible dirt that we're waiting for is the new heavens and the new earth. And friends, it is coming for us back and deeper, back and deeper. And the more we walk out faith, the more tangible and the more real it becomes to us. This last weekend, we were in Mexico, and I got to offer a wedding, a wedding ceremony. And I got to extend the invitation to communion, to come and taste and see how tangible God's love is for you. And then I got to proclaim that invitation in Spanish at least 80 times over. El sangre de Jesús para usted, the blood of Christ for you. That was a foretaste, a tangible future of the kingdom of heaven when we eat again with God in the kingdom of of heaven. We are in a process of being distilled, and it is good. And what we will come out to, the tangible, what we can hold on to is God's shalom, his peace, his hope. And when we get to pass that around, just as I've been passing around essential oils for Christmas, This does not just become a blessing that you hold on to for yourself. It's a blessing that you give to the world. It is the most precious resource, your faith in God. And you give it away to people when you tell them about God's love being poured into their lives. When you extend the shalom of God into your home, into your family, into your neighborhood, and the place where you work, you are giving away the tangible hope of the kingdom. So I invite you to reflect our kids are going to come back in, and we spend time here at the end of a sermon going, man, God spoke a lot of crazy things to Megan about moonshine. What is he saying to me? I've got these questions for you. I want f- first to start here. Is faith a valuable resource to you? Does it have value in your life? Second, where might you be in the distilling process? Are circumstances hard? You're getting heated up. Is something changing as you're going through life? Is God cooling you off, extending his grace and his forgiveness to you? Are things sifting in your life right now? And thirdly, do you trust Jesus? Do you trust him? Let me pray. Holy Spirit, we're opening the conversation with you. We're inviting you to show us What is this life of faith? What is this? You have been listening to the Kitsap House podcast sermon series, a Kitsap House production. We are located in Port Orchard, Washington, with in-person worship every Sunday at 1730 Southeast Mile Hill Drive inside the Raw Gym In the Town Square Mall, services are 10 a.m. For more information, go online to kitsaphouse.org. Don't forget to subscribe and tell a friend. Thank you and God bless.